welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we are going to be talking about fairy tale retellings. And what girl particularly doesn't like to read about fairy tales, even more so when we take popular fairy tales and do a retelling or a reimagining of the story? I know I like them, but with me today is my guest co-host and contributor, Tisha Messing. She's going to be helping us understand, talk about fairy tale retellings. Why do we like them? Why do we keep retelling the same fairy tale? What is the core story underneath the fairy tale? There's so much more to the conversation, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. My newest release, A Match for Bernadette, is out, so go ahead and pick up your copy of that. I would love to know what you thought about it. And so, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Tisha Messing. Tish, how are you doing today? I am doing great. It is a nice sunny day, and we finally have warm weather here in Texas, which always makes me happy. I'm so glad to talk to you, Tish. Some of the people may not know, Tish is one of the staff persons behind Lorehaven, and Lorehaven is a, what would you call it? It's a platform. It's a story. It's a meeting place of anyone who likes Christian, fantastical storytelling, really geared toward readers. And so I write for Lorehaven, and so does Tish. But I think you also review for Lore Haven too, don't you? Yes, I actually primarily just review there, and uh, which is great for me because I get to feed my reading habit without having to like pay. So the thing is, I'm still net negative because I buy the books I don't review about half the time. So uh, it, it's made my reading habit a little easier to afford. But there's a lot of really good books out there. And so I keep having to find ways to justify increasing my reading habit. So Tish is with us today because she is going to be unpacking this whole topic of fairy tale retelling. Now, most of us who grew up in the 90s, our favorite Disney movie from the 90s would probably be Beauty and the Beast. And for me, the best part in that movie is when Belle is presented with the library. And what's so pivotal about that particular scene is that the Beast isn't just giving her books to read, he's actually giving her knowledge. And I've often said, if you want to give me a gift, give me a library like Belle. And I can remember she gasps and looks up into the ceiling 
where there is ceiling to wall shelves of books everywhere. And you just go, you just gasp. And I said, that would be the best gift ever. Even my siblings said that. And I was a youngin at the time. So we got fairy tale retelling. So we do understand that that's not really the story of Beauty and the Beast. It actually is much darker. And it's take place in a historical setting. But that's the thing about fairy tale retellings. We like to see how we can take a familiar fairy tale and just add different dimensions to it. Fairy tales are different from folklore, I would say. Folklore is based off a cultural aspect of a society. So you have, let's say, Irish folklore. You have French folklore. You have African folklore, different tribes and stuff like that. But with fairy tales, these fairy tales usually intercept in the category of folklore because they can have several different cultures all have the same type of story. What do you think if I got it wrong, Tish? I would agree with you. Like, as a lazy example, there are a lot of different retellings of Cinderella. Almost everyone has a story of the friendly and humble young woman who is lifted out of her poverty and her abuse to marry the chieftain's son or the prince or the wise man's son and then become loved and cherished of that tribe or nation or people group. And um, that there's even like adaptations of it within a smaller grouping of that culture. There's a set vaguely in the southwestern United States when it was under uh, Mexican rule still. So it's that specific subculture of Cinderella called Cindrion. No, that might be the Jamaican one. I've been reading a bunch of them recently because I was curious to see how many different fairy tale retellings of Cinderella I could find around the world because that seems to be the one that's the most common around the world. The second one seems to be Beauty and the Beast as different retellings. And it's interesting because you get just one little thing like the in the one that takes place in the southwest of the United States, instead of it being ball to find a wife, it's a ball to go with Las Posadas, which is a very specific to that area of celebration around Christmas and how they do that. There's a timelessness to Cinderella that appeals too, because the girl is rescued from a bad situation, but she remains good and kind. Now, feminists have, in my opinion, attacked this story a lot saying that, oh, we're looking for the prince to rescue us. Cinderella doesn't need a prince. She needs to get away and do her own thing. But I have to be honest with you, what's wrong with being rescued by the prince? There's, there's nothing wrong with being rescued by the prince. And also, it's shown that it's done because of who she is rather than just in the best retelling of Cinderella. I should rephrase that. In the best retelling of Cinderella, done because of who she is. Like even in the original Cinderella fairy tale, it wasn't a single ball. It it was several balls over several nights. So it wasn't just, I danced with you one time and you were really pretty. It was, I danced with you several times over several nights. And in the time period where that was written, that was enough time to get a marriage proposal. So it's not like this is an unusual thing where he was like, I just, I saw you for five minutes and oh no, I have to find this mystery woman. It was, I danced with you and talked with you for a week straight of balls. And 
now I don't know how to find you. It's, it's the person who did not write the, put the phone number in your cell phone and wash their hands after it was written on their hand, you know, that type of thing. Another aspect of the Cinderella fairy tale that's not often talked about is that the prince could have chosen anyone to be his bride. Too often people focus on Cinderella, but they forget the prince had a choice too. He didn't have to choose Cinderella. Now in the later retellings, he does find, try to find the woman who fits the shoe. That's an invention from later on. But in the older aspects of Cinderella, he met her a few times. In some of the other ones, one of them I read, the girl had a dress made out of stars. And so whatever magical being gave her a dress made out of stars. Another was made out of the moon. The other retelling that's pretty uh, popular, like we said, is Beauty and the Beast. Now, Beauty and the Beast, that retelling, I think it's also timeless because, again, it goes into what makes a person beautiful. Is it the physical appearance or is it their inward soul? Now, in your experience reading different types of fairy tales, what would you say are some of the classic themes that come up over and over again with Beauty and the Beast retellings? It is the looking underneath of who the person is and looking beyond the surface level. It is also, it's a slow burn romance. So it's not the love at first sight that you see in a lot of the other fairy tales. It's a, she sees him over time and slowly comes to love him and see him for who he really is. And he comes to love her and see her for who she really is. It's not just a, this is my jail card. How do I convince her to love me? It's a, I love her enough to sacrifice myself. And so you see they both grow as people in that story. So in the core, you have both of them growing as people and changing who they are, and both of them slowly discovering who the person is. My question is this. Someone said that she was locked in the castle with this guy, and he would not let her go. And they're saying we are romanticizing Stockholm Syndrome. What would you think about that? So if you actually read the oldest version, not it, so there's, it falls into a category of fairy tales called bride, uh, beast bridegrooms. So technically speaking, uh, Cupid and Psyche is a Beauty and the Beast version because when they are married, Cupid is under a curse where he is transformed. So you could go with that, and that one's an arranged marriage version. But in the original retelling, for the most part, he tries to stay away from her. He, he recognizes it's a payment for justice. So it's in certain versions, you could call it a Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. But real, in reality, it's a we're trapped in this. We're both trapped in this thing. In the Robin McKinley retelling, Beauty, it's kind of presented as this mystery of what happened, what caused him to change. And she's trying to figure that out because his actions and his behavior do not line up with viciousness that she was told he was. It's actually primarily in the Disney version where he's got this super duper temper problem. In most of the other retellings, he's usually learned enough by then that he isn't like this giant, I'm going to snap at you if you look at me wrong person. So it's primarily the Disney one. It's just in the Disney one, he has that amazing library that we all want that makes everyone so jealous. In the Disney one, though, he never hurts her, though. He may get mad, but he never hurts her. 
And that's significant because it lets you know just because I'm angry doesn't mean that gives you a reason to upset me. Yeah, he frightened her, but he learned from her fright to calm down his temper. And so those were things. Some people say, no, he should have. I said, come on. It was the 90s. You know, kind of put a little bit of cultural context to some of this stuff, too. You know, it's just he has a bit of an explosive anger. But as you said, it's never violent against anyone. It's a I yell, I storm, I rage. And when I get alone, I might even the the violence that he does, it's only ever directed at images of himself. So, like, the only thing that you ever see destroyed is the painting of himself from right before he was transformed. So he isn't even a violent, angry person. He's just loud. And given the fact he's, like, eight feet tall and has really big teeth, that's scary. I've got an 80-pound dog. And she's not violent, but she's very energetic. And when she comes running at you full speed, you don't know that she is really happy to see you and just wants to lick your face off. But it looks sure scary when you got 80 pounds of dog running at you with its mouth wide open and teeth. So there's a great deal of that playing into it. Sleeping Beauty is a very interesting one because the original fairy tale, dark, depressing. I remember reading it. I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe what was happening. I said, oh, my gosh. It was the Italian version yeah. called Talia, Sun and Moon. For those of you who don't know the original, we'll go ahead and break the break the nights for you and see why we're glad there is the Super Beauty, <laughs> even Disney, because Disney, there's a Disney effect when it comes to these fairy tales, too. In Talia, Sun and Moon, pretty much she gets enchanted. She falls asleep. And the prince, the hero <laughs> of this fairy tale, comes along. And he sees her beautiful, this is exactly what it says, she's beautiful, lying in a glass coffin or whatever, and he's so overcome with desire that he takes the fresh fruits of love. That's how they termed it somehow in that term. And you're going, did he just accost and abuse a woman who sleeps? That's what happened. And then later on, in the, he leaves, he goes off and leaves. Then... Later on, she wakes up, literally she wakes up because uh, she got pregnant, had twins, sun and moon, okay? And then she wakes up because the fairies are taking care of her. <laughs> and she wakes up like, where did these children come from? <laughs> literally, she's like, how did I get kids? Last time I checked, I was asleep, you know? And I was written in, so I think he came by wondering how she was doing. And I'm sitting there going, this is a horrible story. And so he comes by to see her, and then he tells her what happened. And this is where I'm like, I'm so glad for feminism. <laughs> this is where feminism comes, comes to this place. She goes, oh, okay. And he takes care of her because, in all honesty, he got her pregnant. So he is morally obligated to take up to take care of her after the fact. And they said he talked gently to her. Like, how could you gently make this good? We just see we're in the 21st century. There's no way you could gently tell me you raped me while I was asleep. There's no way possible. But, you know, this was the 1600s, I think. 1500s, I think it was. So, yeah, but he did his job according to doing your job back then, took care of her and all that. And I was, when I read, I said, I remember just staring like, this is a horrible story, (laughs) you know, and I'm glad they came and frished it up. So with that retelling, that's more darker, but then a lot of the fairy tales are dark. That's another aspect, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, see, there's a continuation of it where, so they get married and his mom is an ogress. So he goes off to war or something because, you know, that's what the princes do in that day. And she's left home alone with her twins and the evil queen. And she's like, okay, so 
I'm going to bake your children into a pie because I am hungry. It's, it's supposed to be this thing where you're supposed to be like, what? You just said, I'm sorry, but what? So this explains a lot about how Crit messed up he is because his mom is all set to eat her grandchildren. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's been a few years since I read that one, and that people eating is one of my triggers of stories that I just don't eat any, but read anymore because you just don't eat people. That's just so on my list of things I don't do. So I don't remember exactly how they get rescued because I think it was it ends up being her. She's smart enough to out, you know, out with her her mother-in-law, who literally wants to eat her grandchildren. <laughs> the, the original fairy tales are dark. They really are. And I was thinking about Cinderella's pretty dark too because she cuts off her foot, one cuts off her heel, and then one cuts off her toe. Her stepsisters. Yeah, and then their eyes are pecked out by birds. The same birds that gave Cinderella. Her beautiful dresses, their eyes are pecked out by birds. And if you ever see uh, Into the Woods, yes, it actually goes with the original versions. And, yeah, Into the Woods um, was really depressing. That was really depressing. And he was being an existentialist with that movie, actually. Yeah. See, what's really interesting is if you watch the Broadway production of it, it's like this really dark comedy. But if you watch the Disney movie of it, it doesn't come off as a comedy. Because of how it's played. Also, they, they removed a lot of the stereotypes that were present in the original version. So in the original version, the baker very much comes off as Jewish. And so you get some jokes off of Jewish stereotypes, which at the time it was done were a lot more acceptable with, you know, to tell. It, it came off as the all in good fun, not a trying to be mean, but as in, Let's laugh at things we are known for. I don't know how to explain it where it doesn't come off terrible sounding. Yeah, it's just, it was just a different time. Like I said, you had to look at the cultural context of the stories, too. Now, we talked about some Western fairy tales. Let's go a little bit further east, you know. And we got some of the Eastern fairy tales that are pretty, uh, pretty interesting as well. One of the ones that come to mind is actually was a Disney movie, was Mulan. Now, that's a fairy tale. But it's not a fairy tale where the girl gets the guy. Well, in the Disney version, yes, yeah, she does get the guy. But in the original one, it was more so about family honor. And this is important because fairy tales are often used to show certain habits of people. Like in this case, she's a good daughter. She's being Mulan is being a good daughter, okay? And she's protecting her father. But some people could argue that it's always been, especially for Chinese women throughout the centuries, having to deal with this very severe patriarchal society that makes them carry the weight of the house and then lots of other little things too. So let's talk about some of the fairy tales further east. Yeah, and see, the interesting thing about Mulan is there are arguments as to whether or not that was a fictionalization of actual historical events because in speaking without complete knowledge, I mean, it's like, I want to be up front that I am not very well versed in that culture. But from the research I've done, there is portions where she is honored as an actual historical figure. Because in, I think, 5th or 6th century time period, I want to say Han Dynasty, but that could be 100% wrong because I'm not well versed enough to be able to say I'm positive. But And that part is kind of interesting to me because I was trying to learn about Chinese history about three, four years ago. And 
essentially the conclusion I came down to is I don't even know enough to know where I need to look to find more information. So there's some really interesting, prominent women in Chinese history that they're trying to figure out, you know, 3,000 years later, do we still even, do we think of her as a hero or a villain? And it's kind of interesting to think about with that. Even some of the other uh, different fairy tales in other parts of the world, we just use some of the big ones that we're familiar with because we are in the West. We know the Western stuff. But other fairy tales have taken unique twists on things, too. And the thing about fairy tales is that they do spread across cultures. You know, a culture can pick up a fairy tale and then, you know, finish their own little thing right there. So there's this common memory that these cultures share. And so what we want to talk about now, we've talked a lot about Disney. And the reason why we talked a lot about Disney because Disney has been a major factor since 1940, I want to say, around 1940 when Snow White came out. He deliberately wanted to bring family-friendly films to families because he believed the family was very important. And also, he lightened the stories. He lightened some of these stories because it doesn't always have to be dark and dangerous. So some people would argue that fairy tales were a way to protect your children from the evils of the world. And here's Disney saying, no, fairy tales are a way to enjoy storytelling. And so you kind of go back and forth, because there was one fairy tale with the Grimm brothers. We haven't talked about them. The Grimm brothers is one of the ones I will never forget. And the poor child, she's a good, obedient daughter to her father. And this witch come along to do whatever. And she cries. No, she took a bath. And the evil dude said, don't take a bath. So then she cries on her hands. And her hands are clean, but he can't take her. He's a, he tells the dad, cut off her hands. And the dad's like, I can't cut off my child's hands. And he said, if you don't cut off her hands, I'm going to come get you. And so he tells his daughter, I got to cut off your hand. And I'll never forget it. She goes, I am your daughter, father. Do what you will with me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. My dad would be up a creek. I'm sorry. You know, but she, he cuts off her hands. This is the fairy tale. <laughs> he cuts off her hands. So she cries over the stumps. And he still can't take her because three times, you know, you got three times to do it. You can't do it anymore after that. So. <laughs> So then she, now she's disgraced and she has to go leave, you know, cause she can't be her father anymore. And I'm like, this is the fairy. Mind you, I'm still going, this is the fairy tale. <laughs> you know? So then she meets, uh, she goes off to a tree and there's an apple low hanging from a branch and she's nibbling at the branch cause she can't grab it. So she gets on tiptoes and then an angel comes and lays on all this crazy stuff. And so at the end, she gets the prince, and, the Lord, and actually, in the Grimm's in the Grimm's version, the Lord gives her back her hands. She gets her hands miraculously back. The king in the story made her silver hands that she could uh, use. I don't know how she would use them, but you know, we're gonna ignore practicality. Fairy tales are not about practicality; they have nothing to do with that. So, the Lord gives her back her hands, her own full hands and stuff. But yeah, but some of these are really dark. So Disney comes along. And he changes that, and he deliberately changes these fairy tales not to necessarily be a tool of learning how to deal with a cruel world, which some would agree children need to be aware of that the world is not a bright, happy place, and it's not fair. There are monsters and villains, and instead he makes the villains able to be conquered, like in Sleeping Beauty with Maleficent and some of the other stories they're very familiar with. But in some of these fairy tales, the villains are very difficult to overcome. Sometimes they win. They take advantage of you. Like in the story with the girl, she got her hands cut off through no fault of her own. It's her dad's fault, but she gets her hands cut off. So we can argue about the Disney effect, not argue, we can talk about the Disney effect of fairy tales. What were some of your thoughts? So the thing about it is it makes it really interesting because it makes it something that you would, you can show, you know, all of 
the classic Disney cartoons to your, like, three-year-old. You can pretty much turn, except for Sleeping Beauty, which, you know, scared the bejesus out of my kids when they were really young, because that dragon is pretty scary. But most of the fairy tales, you can easily show to your kids and not worry about what's going to happen in them, because, you know, in the end, good triumphs over evil. And what's really interesting is it causes some kids to go and uh, when they get older and go, I am curious and I want to read the original version. Like the original version of little mermaid is not a happy story because in the original version, the little mermaid dies. Like her, her sisters are like, look, we cut off our hair so that we can get this magically, this magic knife so that if you kill the prince, you can get your, your tail back and join us back in the thing. And so she's like, no, I really love him. And so she casts herself on the waves and becomes seafoam. And Hans Christian Anderson is a dark man. Like, he's a, none of his stories that I can think of have happy endings offhand. Maybe you could argue the uh, ugly duckling. So it, it has a useful effect in that some people get more curious. I mean, that's how I got into fairy tales is I had someone who loaned me the blue fairy book when I was in fifth grade. And I read all of them. And then I started looking for fairy tale retellings. So it has that, it, so it makes it more accessible for us to be able to be like, all right, my young child, I can watch this with you. And it also has the effect of it's the nostalgia factor of my parents watched it and I watched it with my parents and now I'm watching it with you. So it's three or four generations down of kids who've watched these things together with as family, and uh, which is a great deal of what Disney trades on. They trade on the nostalgia of this has been here for 30, 40, 50 years. You know, that's why Disney still has the same rides in there. It still has all those fairy tales as rides. And every time they talk about getting rid of one, there's a big outcry of, but I went on that ride when I was a kid. And I remember going on it with my mom and I remember going, and so it trades on that nostalgia. But the thing is, is it, it does not prepare. as That's part of what the original fairy tales did is it prepared you that yeah the world is not fair and it is a difficult place but sometimes good triumphs sometimes things go well and it it trades in tropes and things that you're used to so you have the sets and you have the the good sister and the bad sister and sometimes that the, the uh, kind fairy will come along and the good sister will then speak and rubies and pearls pass from her lips and the bad sister will go out and then centipedes and poisonous snakes and adders will fall from her lips because of that. So it, it, it also talks about how sometimes you are rewarded for that. I like what you said there about how the fairy tales show the different aspects of life, showing how sometimes you, you're going to win, sometimes you're not going to win, all that type of stuff. And what's interesting when you mentioned that, you talk about how the girl, you know, when she talks for diamonds and rubies, because what it is is that the fairy tales try to show you to be a good person despite what happened around you, despite the fact that maybe your family was against you, despite the, despite the fact that maybe circumstances were beyond your control. Like, look at Hansel and Gretel. You know, the dad did not want to throw them out, but the stepmother did, you know, and it wasn't their fault. They got sent into the wilderness. They were trying to do the best they could, but then stuff happened. So it shows this darkness, but in a sense, it helps you prepare that, hey, sometimes, and the stepmother made me so angry, but I got mad at the dad. Like, why are you letting this woman tell you what to do with your kids? 
you know, why are you doing that? He's like, you're making it into You're just being passive here. And you're voicing it off on your new wife. And I'm sitting there going, okay. And then, but that's what I'm saying. So these darker fairy tales, they showed you that life was not what it went to be, what it meant to be. But the greater story is underneath that. Because all fairy tales lead to the biggest fairy tale that we all play a part in. And that fairy tale is what Christ does for us, how he saved us from a cruel world. Now, sometimes even being a good girl doesn't all, or a good boy doesn't always get you what you want. Like I used the one example, the one fairy tale with the girl getting her hands cut off. She was a good girl, and stuff still happened to her. What's interesting, too, is that in these older fairy tales, there's always an insertion of the divine. And we can go across cultures and see that. And the search of the divine or the supernatural because we understand that as humans, we only have enough power to affect change in a limited way. So we need the insertion of the divine, the paranormal, the, super, the supernatural to intercede in our lives. I think all fairy tales share that aspect, wouldn't you say? I would agree. They all do and also can do show interesting misunderstandings of theology. So like you have a common thing in fairy tales where you're in the divine state, you're in Eden, and then you sin and you are expelled. And where the theology becomes wrong is you work to re-earn your, to become back, to go back to Eden. So, you know, you have to make the, wear the several pairs of shoes that you have to walk your way through the iron shoes so that you can prove your love to your former spouse and so that you can prove that you are good enough and that you truly are worthy, which is a complete misunderstanding of what theology is, but you, it makes sense for the culture it was in because if you look at medieval Catholicism, it's very much of a works-based system of, well, you have to prove that you're worthy of God's love. You have to drop that coin in the coffer. You have to go to church. You have to go to mass. You have to go to confession and do all those things to prove you're worthy of God. I like how you use that because it does show essentially every fairy tale shows. And that's what we were talking about, the common theme about across all cultures, no matter what the fairy tale, it all comes to a common memory of the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. You know, we were in a perfect state. We were in a perfect state. And then we were expelled because of our wrongdoing. Now, some fairy tales make it look as if it's not our wrongdoing because in a way you can, I guess you can argue, you know, if you use the serpent in the garden, no matter how you view it, view serpent in the garden, that was the external circumstance, but we have to be responsible for our own decisions as well. And so you do have underneath all this, the common memory across all nations, all cultures, all different socioeconomic belief system is this common memory. They may not even know it. That's interesting. They may not even know it, but this is a common memory is that we were sent out of the garden because our sin. And so now we still need the divine, you know, and I'm using divine in a generic way, but as this is a Christian show, you understand where I'm coming from, the divine has to save us. Because a lot of times in all these fairy tales, these quests happen, a bird, owl, a dog, a rat, whatever comes to what? Intercede on our behalf, help you in the journey, you know. And so now you start to see, I hope our listeners see what we're trying to peel back. So you have all these different tales that we all enjoy. We have these timeless things. We have the Disney effect, which changed the nature of the fairy tale from being a story of warning to being one of enjoyment, that good always triumphs over evil when that's not always the case. 
and then you have the intercession of the divine or the supernatural coming into play. But it's all masking the common memory of man and mankind that we need saving, that at the end we will get our fairy tale ending. And how do we get that ending, Tisha? Well, ultimately we get that ending in the real world when we call to, when we go to God and we call to God. In the books, it's, there is always a divine intervention in the stories. It's a, it's a divine intervention of stuff. And in modern days, it's all, it's frequently, it's downplayed. But in all the classic traditional fairy tales, there's some amount of divine intervention where there is the fairy godmother or, or there is the kindly fairy or way too intelligent animal. And even in a few times, it is an actual literal angel that comes in and is like, oh, here is the thing that you need. Here is the thing that will uh, get you where you need to go. And I hope our listeners can see that and see that common thread in a lot of fairy tales, because at the end, the biggest fairy tale we have is that we were and we are in need of rescue. We are have the Satan, who is the dragon, who is the old demon, the goat, the man who's trying to destroy us. It's trying to destroy us. Yes, we are damsels in distress. We are children in need of a father and a mother to care. We are the mistreated and abused Cinderella. We are the misunderstood beauty. We are the ones cast out of our homes. We are that person. And the prince, the king himself, will intercede and come into our fairy tale and will rescue us. He will defend us from the dragon. He will give us the tools we need to fight. In the Bible, he says, you know, put on the whole armor of God. You don't even know you have the armor of God, so you come into connection with the prince himself, the king himself, you know. And so the prince is not just this stigma of wealth or prosperity. He's protection. He's the castle guard. He's the vanguard against all these things happening. So that's why I want you, the listener, to understand underneath all the fairy tale is that common memory of God saying, I will rescue you. You cannot fight this dragon alone. I don't want you to. You're not powerful to fight the dragon alone. You're not powerful enough to do it, but I am. So that's why I'm so glad we're talking about fairy tale retellers with my guest co-host today, Tisha Messing. Tisha, in the few moments we have left, what are some thoughts you want to share with our listeners today? One of the things when you're looking at fairy tale retellings is that I love so much is is a revisiting of a new story, an old story retold. And the thing that makes me sad is the recent trend towards trying to subvert that story. And so instead of just getting the story, I'm I'm opening a whole new can of worms right here with this. So it's to, it says, think about what does that subversion tell you about the author's worldview? When you take it and you take the prince and he's no longer noble person but instead it, it's the uh stable boy who is actually the rescuer what does that say about the worldview of the author who's like well i like the idea of cinderella but really let's ever fall in love with the stable boy and the stable boy is really the good person so it's just something i've been playing around with recently as i've been thinking about how the new trend is to subvert the fairy tale and instead of it being the prince that gets the girl, it, it's the best friend or the captain of the guard or the stable boy. Or she goes, I'm just going to totally nope out of here 
and her sister ends up being the stand-in. Uh, there's a really bad Cinderella retelling that did that, and that was horrible. Yeah, because like you said, it subverts those classic things. Like, there's, like they're making it as if something's wrong with being a prince, as if something's wrong with that rescue. Like, oh, I can't be rescued by the guy who can rescue me. I have to be rescued by the guy who's better. What makes him better? Because he's a stable boy? You know, is it, is he, you know, there's a lot going on there because the prince represents a better way of living, okay? Like Christ. Christ is king, okay? I don't want to hang out with, you know, with anyone but the Lord. I, I always say, I don't care how wrong I am about anything in the, theologically wise. As long as I'm with Christ, it's okay. You know, he could tell me, oh, you were wrong about that, PJ. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, I was wrong about that. As long as I'm with you, Lord Jesus. But they, a lot of times they do that to make commentary, social commentary about wealth, about having things. Like there's something wrong with being wealthy. If you make your, and I always say this, if you make your money legit, however you spend your money is the way you spend your money. I'm not saying you can do like a drug lord or stuff like that. We're not talking about that. But I'm talking about if you make your money legitimately, you legitimately make your money a legit way, something wrong with that. But that's social commentary which is a whole other can of worms, as you said, that enters into the conversation. But what we want to end on a happier note, it's a fairy tale ending, is that Jesus is the one who's going to rescue us from our own fairy tale. And he, this is a fairy tale that he is saving us from our sins, which threaten to overwhelm us and keep us separate from God. That's the fairy tale. He's come in on a white horse in night. That, the armor that he wears is damaged. There's holes in his armor, you know, in his hands and his feet. There's holes in that. Because he fights the battle for us. That's the kind of night we want. He's going to take the damsel in distress, the young child, and he's going to ride off into the sunset. And we'll forever be with him. That's the fairy tale. So, Tisha, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. That sounds fun. And we were talking today to Tisha Messing. She is a good friend of mine who is a reviewer at lorehaven.com. As most of you know, I also write for Lorehaven. And she reviews at Lorehaven. If you are a Christian speculative fiction author and you are interested in having your book reviewed by the Lorehaven team, simply go to lorehaven.com, follow the instructions to get your, your book into Tisha's hands or one of the other reviewers' hands. They have an extensive library of Christian authors who write fantastical stories. And I hope you will go ahead and enjoy that. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. And you have a wonderful absolutely glorious, blessed day.